BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You're listening to From the Pink Seats Podcast of the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavin, and Vince McCoco. From the Pink Seats Podcast, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick, Vince Lococo. You just listened to the offensive preview and breakdown of Jeff Brom and what to expect as he comes over from Purdue with Drew Snyder from Hammer and Rails. And we're going to dive right into the defensive part now here in episode two. And as I mentioned at the tail end of that last episode, Louisville's got a lot of guys that they got to replace that were productive. I mean, we were, Louisville's replaced defensive guys, you know, under the Satterfield era and had guys step up, but never have they, you know, have they lost three NFL draft picks under the Satterfield era on defense? There's a lot of things for Louisville to kind of figure out. And Drew, um, the defense for Louisville has been a major, major issue. I'm sure you know this since way back in uh, with Peter Sermon in 2017 to to Brian Van Gorder in 2018 to the early BG, baby. Oh yeah, my God, BG smoking his Newport lights <laughs> and his defense killer up with a. Story about that, real quick. I was eating dinner in Athens out of a bar, and we were talking about Clemson football. I look over, and, and the guy's like, Oh, you, you right? I was like, Yeah, no, right about Clemson. He's like, Oh, well, my uh, yeah, no, I'm an assistant coach at Georgia. My last name is Van Gorder, and I was like, Oh my god, you're Van, Brian Van Gorder's son. And then I was like, Oh, I think I said terrible things about your father on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club, man. We've all been. <laughs> Um, oh, Vince got the shit. unique experience of being around him, but it sounds like he was a good guy at least, right? I mean, that's one of those. He's not Brian Van 
His son was great. He sat in the shop. He was great. Exactly. Top 10, not top 10, but top tier, like, beer drinking guy. You'd love to sit down and watch a game and have a beer with him, but, you know, just can't coach football. It's all right. Some (laughs) people just don't have it. That's right, man. That's right. Well, let's talk about the off- the defensive coaches that come over. Um, one of the things that was really interesting back when Jeff Brom kind of came up for the job um, in 2019 was there was a lot of conversation considering what Louisville had just been through with Peter Sermon and Brian Van Gorder that in that point in time, Jeff Brom would have brought over Nick Holt, who had been his longtime defensive coordinator, and we really would have probably kick-started the beginning of the end of the Jeff Brom era at that point, because of him still not being able to figure out defense, you know, how to really kind of set himself up and, and considering what Louisville had just been through, the fans really wouldn't have had much patience for bad defenses after bad defenses. But here we are in 2023, Mark Hagan, who is the, one of the co-defensive coordinators and then one of our favorite people ever to coach at Louisville, at least me, I can't speak for these two, but Ron English <laughs> was a one year. He's a one hit wonder, right? Who's your favorite one hit wonder guys. Can we think like the Baja men come to mind as one hit wonder? Who are some <laughs> other hub one hit wonders. Do we know of any off the top of our head? That- Eagle, Eagle Eye Cherry from the nineties. Do you remember him? The save the night, save tonight guy. That was like when I was in high school. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think he only did one thing and, uh, Oh gosh, there's a few other ones that uh... ton of great one-hit wonders across uh, across all generations of music, and that's what Ron English was at the time for Louisville uh, before he went to Eastern Michigan, and then ultimately kind of bounced around and ended up back with Jeff Brom at Purdue. But Louisville fans are really excited about the potential of Mark Hagan as the defensive line coach and Ron English as the secondary coach. Uh, and then you combine that with one of the most underrated things of the offseason that happened, and that's the um, retaining of Mark Ivey, Louisville's defensive line coach from last season, who will now move into the linebackers coach role. So I, all of that long-winded you know, kind of jargon to ask you, what's up with Mark Hagan and Ron English? Like, are, are we, Should we be excited about this, or is this um, you know, something that it's going to take some kind of time to work through the kinks? Mark Hagan is an elite defensive line coach and he is a badass recruiter and Purdue's recruiting on the defensive line especially exponentially approved the second he stepped on campus um from you know because he was he played in indiana you know he's got local ties regional ties played at indiana coached at purdue went back to indiana then went to his stint in texas at texas and texas a&m and then jump back to Purdue. So he's been around the block a few times, but that man can coach. He, I know a lot of former Purdue players that say he is the real deal and that if you want to play for a dude, he's the dude you want to play for. Uh, so I have nothing but good things to say about Mark Hagan. I wish Purdue could have kept him. Like if Purdue would have named Mark Hagan the head coach, I wouldn't have been sad. So – I've wow, yeah, that's a huge statement because I know I wrote a piece earlier uh, this year, kind of trying to break down the four two five in that scheme and system that they operate. And I watched uh, their game against Penn State, their opener. I can't remember who they played, and their uh, game against uh, Michigan in the Big Ten Championship. And one of my biggest takeaways from that overall system and how how Hagen and English operate it is that it seems like the defensive linemen are the go-to guys when it comes to creating havoc plays, your sacks and tackles for loss. Whereas under Brian Brian Brown's uh, 3-4 scheme with Satterfield, uh, the linemen are just basically guys who eat up blocks while the linebackers behind them are the ones that kind of blitz into the backfield and make the big havoc plays. Where it seems like in this scheme, 
it's more so reliant on linemen kind of winning those one-on-one battles and linebackers kind of cleaning up behind the linemen in case they blow an assignment. Is that kind of far off from how this system operates? That's, that's about right. Uh, this is, if y'all are like, oh, we're going to go get, you know, everybody gets a new defensive court, defense and they're like, oh, it's going to be aggressive. We're going to get after the quarterback. We're going to do <laughs> We're gonna, no, this is not, at least at Purdue, it was, that was not what Jeff Brown was down with. Like, if you just go back and look at the tackles for loss, sacks, Purdue is in the bottom most of the time. Uh, Holt basically got fired for bringing too much pressure uh, and getting beat deep. Brown did not, does not like to get beat deep. Um, and so you're going to see a lot of bend, don't break, uh, defense, uh, defense where the safeties are going to stay deep. Uh, you're going to have two safeties. They're going to hang out. Um, you're going to, the outside corners are going to bail a lot. Um, they're going to play that sort of underneath, drop the linebackers, play that underneath zone. Uh, and then, yeah, like you said, they're going to, if, if there's going to be pressure, it's coming from the defensive line. It's not coming from the linebackers. It's not coming from the secondary. It's coming from the defensive ends. Yeah, it seems like when I was watching some of their blitz packages, it was more so reliance on – because when, when Louisville blitzed the ball under Brian Brown, it was coming from more often than not right up the middle from one of the inside linebackers. But for, for Purdue, a Purdue blitz under Hagen and English looked like another lineman crowding line scrimmage and having five guys on the line just going after it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're not. It's not one where you're going to like fire a dude late through a hole or uh, it's yeah, that's sort of the 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 pressure is going to come. Just there's going to put another guy and this is going to be can somebody make a play. Uh, it's schematically is real is not like you're not looking at like a Brent Venables defense uh, or a West going defense at Clemson where they're sending safeties and corners and linebackers and dropping people in coverage, uh, you know, defensive tackles. It is not that. It is very much a four it – it'll, it'll vacillate between a three, two, six and like a four, two, five. Uh, just sort of depending on what they want to do. Um, at, at least that's what it looked like at Purdue. And again, you say, have to think, is that scheme or is that, uh, you know, personnel? Like last year, uh, just sort of looking at the numbers, sacks, the Purdue's leading sack dude last year was Jack Sullivan at five and a half sacks. Uh, and he was also in... Tackles for loss, the uh, eight, Kydron Jenkins, sort of, he's sort of the hybrid linebacker defensive end uh, for Purdue. He had eight tackles for loss, four sacks, and he was sort of supposed to be the dude uh, for, for Purdue. And just, that's not, pressure is not a lot of what they did. Um, I mean, George Karloftis, uh didn't put up big numbers at Purdue. That was sort of his deal in the draft was there like, he is a physical freak specimen, but I mean, look at his numbers and you see his senior year, four and a half sacks. 
Uh, Fuck, this is a five-star top, you know, 20 recruit in the nation. Four and a half sacks, 10 tackles for loss. Um, But, you know, the Chiefs draft him at the end of the first round because he should be better than that. Um, So this is not a pressure defense. It's not a defense that's going to send guys. You're not good. Or at least, again, at Purdue, I can't say that that's going to be the same thing at Louisville. but just not a whole lot of getting after the quarterback uh, with this defense, which I always thought was weird that Braun's offense and defense never seemed to really match each other. Like you kind of got this hyper aggressive offense where he's throwing the ball, throwing the ball. And then you've got this sort of real passive, not passive, but, they're gonna. They're not gonna get beat for big yards. They're gonna let make you beat them four yards at a time. Basically, a defense that either dares you to throw underneath or dares you to run it. Yeah. For me, it's where these linebackers fit in for Louisville and how you know young. It's it's the guys we have to replace. So I'm gonna ask you uh, how the recruiting is overall on the defensive side of the ball. Much, much, much better with uh, Hagen on the staff. Otherwise, bad. George Karloftis like grew up in like the shadows of like the football stadium at West Lafayette. I honest to God, like that was and that's he was the guy. You know, five star dude, clear. But other than him, like name another Purdue defender. In the last five years, yeah, it's, it's and Corey Trice was all right, kind of. But again, he was another dude. They were like, I, that this year the NFL he played corner. He's from Kentucky, big dude, like six three. And they're like, we think he's good. We don't know why it looks like in man coverage that much. Um, maybe, but other than that, like the the recruiting picked up under Hagen. I think he will do really well in Louisville. I don't know how much Jeff Brown watched the Purdue defense, to be honest with you. Um, sometimes it felt oh, like no. he's sort of, yeah, right. Like you're like he kind of looked at the box score. Was like, how the defense do today? Mm, all right, I guess we'll look at the scoreboard. Um, I, I never got the impression that Jeff Brown had much interest in the defense. Um, other than that he didn't like it when Nicole gave up chunk plays. Um, that was, but then he hired Bob ja- uh, Jacko, which was like the absolute worst hire in the history of college football. So, uh, buddy, man, that was a bad deal. Um, it got better. Uh, Brad Lambert came in, um, but that was super weird, right? So Bob Jacko came in and he was just awful and everybody, he's a weird guy. Um, I don't know if y'all know Bob. Uh, he uh, he was the defensive coordinator for Notre Dame when they went with Manti Teo in that little three four, and then he went. He was the head coach at UConn uh, when UConn was the, like the absolute worst team in the nation. He made up the like civil conflict trophy that everybody <laughs> laughed at. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. and like. UCF is like, we don't care about this trophy. But anyways, yeah, he was there for a year, and he got fired. 
So Holt got fired, and then Jocko uh, got fired, and then Lambert came in. I like Brad Lambert. He was the former head coach at uh, UCF. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, not UCF. Uh, Charlotte. He was the head, former head coach at Charlotte. Uh, then he was the defensive co coordinator at Marshall. Uh, and he got fired when Doc Holliday got fired. And Brown brought him in for a year. And I liked the defense. It was a three... It was a three-man front with a sort of like a roaming fourth guy uh, and, uh, you know, basically two linebackers, five. It was basically the 4-2-5. And uh, I liked that. And then he went back. He took the job of Wake Forest, defensive coordinator. And so you kind of scratch your head. He's got a lot of family ties to Wake, but you kind of go, how, can, how does Purdue lose a defensive coordinator to Wake Forest, and then he brought in English, and English was, yeah, Ryan's fine, he's fine, he's fine, Purdue's defense was good last year, they were, you know, bend don't break, then put a lot of pressure, but the team didn't score a lot of points, uh, and that was one of the questions y'all asked, was like, uh, uh, you know, about the Purdue defense, and I will say the Purdue's defense kept Purdue in a lot of games, like, Purdue's offense struggled in games in some games that Purdue won which was always surprising to me where I sort of go this this is supposed to be Jeff Brom's baby like the offense and the defense is out playing them um and that you know happens a lot so if you look at like you know 2022 points per game 2022 26.6 which was 75th in the nation and the point is points per game 74th uh, you know, 27.4. So, you know, neither great. Um, 2021 um, and was uh, Lambert's defense, and that was you know, 29 points a game, 62nd in the nation, uh, but 24, 22 points against 34th. So the defense was the better in 2021, 9 and 4. Uh, Purdue went 9 and 4. Um, and the defense really led that team um and then you know look at 2020 i don't even look at 2020 because that was just such a weird year um but again 73rd in the nation in points 27 points a game 67th uh in uh on defense with 29.8 points a game um and then, you know, 2019, it's, it's sort of the same thing. So the defense, um, yeah, 2019, points uh, for uh, 25.8 was 87th in the nation. Points against 30.6, which is 86th. Um, and that's the year, that's the, that's the year started uh, and went. Did, did pretty well for the for the offense, uh, but the defense was you know, not great. Um, and they went four and eight that year. That was sort of the the crash year for Purdue. 2018, uh, 30 points a game, 30 points against. So the defense has been you know, fair to million, but so was the offense really. Um, and so the I feel like the defense under English was good. It was pretty disciplined, tackling sucked, uh, real bad, real bad. Purdue beats Penn State last year if they can make a tackle, like a single tackle against anybody. I don't know if anybody, did y'all watch any of that game? Have anybody seen any of that game? Yep. 
Yep. So, 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 so y'all saw that uh, at the end of the second half where they were like, all they have to do is get this guy on the ground in the half silver. Oh, we missed a tackle. Oh, we missed another tackle. Oh, shit, he's still going. Are you serious? See, like, I was like, I got up to go pee. And, like, I was done. I was like, oh, we're just going to take this lead into halftime. I'm cool with this. And then, like, I was, I heard, like, yelling from the room. I came, my wife was like, you need to come see this. Oh God! Oh God! It's never good. Right? No. I've trained her up. She knows a good bit about football. At least she knows when things are going poorly, and I should be yelling at the screen. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. Right, right. If I'm not in the room and she sees something going down, she's like, "You need to come in here." And that was when the Penn State do they ran like a like an out route, like it's just a stop route and, and scored a touchdown because we just did the tackle. Um, so you know, tackling was average. If you watch that Michigan game, I think tackling was also an issue uh, at the at the end. Um, but the defense played well against Michigan. They they kept Purdue in the game long enough where you're like, come on, Brom, come on, offense. And we just kept kicking field goals. Uh, but um, the, de- the defense is okay. I don't think I don't know how much Brom, like I said, is involved or cares, which is actually kind of a selling point for defensive coordinators. He's not a dude that's going to get in there and be like, "This is what I want to see. I'm going to meddle with the defense." He's just like, "Oh, oh gosh." And that's something, that's something that Lowell had to deal with last season when Saturday. I mean, y'all had Bobby Petrino as a coach. Like y'all know, this is the Bobby Petrino experience. Brom's just a nicer guy. Uh, people like Jeff Brom. It's a very similar experience. Um, and, I mean, some of that's good, dude. Like, I mean, Bobby P, when he has stuff rolling with y'all, dude, that Clemson little game uh, in Death Valley, oh, my God, that took five years off my life. I mean, I'm sure that took 10 off yours, yours life, so I get it. I get it. But let me ask you this, though. So, you know, I know that we've joked about this with Jeff Brom, and obviously it's a big it's a big deal when you're talking about a head coach being a head coach at a school that's an academic type of environment like Purdue, where you're producing, you know, the world's best astronauts and engineers year after year. Right. Like football is not is not necessarily at the forefront of of that. And there's academic requirements and standards that come into getting recruits eligible and bringing them in. And, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of really smart football players out there. Not, not saying that there's not, but Louisville is not Purdue. Right. And I've told my story in here of how I got into Louisville as like, they must've accidentally (laughs) like stuck my application to somebody else's and didn't realize it until it was too late type of deal. Uh, Probably the same thing with me. I was like, I got in. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Cool. Oh, you know. I'm not gonna question y'all. Like, okay, if you're gonna let me come to the school here. Sh- okay. Hi. This is right. This. right. I was gonna go to South Carolina, but I'm the opposite of Duke walk-ons. Like, I'm not there for right. GPA. Right. Like, that's not what they can count on me for. But with Jeff Brown coming to Louisville, I've, I've we've wondered and talked a little bit aloud about what the recruiting does and if that impacts uh, improvement in his overall ability to win games because at Louisville you don't have to have a you know 25 SAT or a 30 ACT or whatever score on the SAT you don't need to be an astronaut you don't need to be an engineer you just need to come in and have an interest in sports like that's honestly from the from the selling point for kids who just don't really care about school necessarily Um, you can come to Louisville and get a degree in communications and sports and have a good career afterwards Um, but at the same time you don't need the academic requirements so Drew what about do you see a scenario where 
without some of those those stricter recruiting guidelines that Jeff Brom's you know can kind of take a step forward in the ACC. Purdue's a tough place to recruit to. Free campus, but I you gotta want to go to Purdue. And then just got a little, little more nightlife, right? Like you kind of have a little more fun, a little yeah. more of a city, an urban atmosphere, a little more city, more stuff to do. I think he'll do fine, fine recruiting there. Um, it's always just a question of is Jeff Brom a head coach or is Jeff Brom a really good offensive coordinator? And that was always just sort of the question at Purdue is, is he a head coach or is he an offensive coordinator who's paid really, really well? Um, and that was always sort of our issue at Purdue is like, the offense is good at times. It gets hot. When it gets hot, it gets going. Uh, the defense is ah, – the special teams are ooh, not great. Um, and sometimes he loses the thread a little bit, um, especially on offense. I will say that he does not help his defense at all. Um, and that was some of our big losses where, where you're like, how did Purdue lose the opener to Nevada? And it's – Jeff Brom did not help the defense at all where you're like, come on, just everybody's dying out there. We're in like the altitude first game in the heat and we're throwing the ball up 10 in the fourth quarter and our defense is just dying on the field and you could see it and you could see it like the defense just sort of died, just like collapse uh, down the stretch and you're just, come on, come on, just protect him a little bit. So that's that's what he's going to do with that at Louisville. Um, offense, defense, uh, Jeff Brown will make you yell at the television one way or the other. That is what I will tell you. <laughs> you will be like, oh, my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Or like, what the fuck is going on? How is this happening? Why are we – why are we – how are we losing to Syracuse? Because of three personal fouls at the very end of the game, with including a Jeff Brown personal foul, and you're just gonna go like, "What?" Ah! Um, well, uh, I like Jeff Brown. He did great things at Purdue. He pulled Jeff Purdue out of the dirt, like mud swamp of sadness. Um, uh, if you've watched Never Ending Story, that was where Purdue's football program was just drowning in the swamp. <laughs> awful nobody cared the stadium was like a quarter filled and they gave those tickets away to like the needy um who were just looking for like a warm place to hang out for a little while um and he came in and he brought a lot of excitement the offense was exciting the defense was not so exciting but it got the job done and um like I said, the best thing I say about Braun of defense is he doesn't mess with it, which is fine. I mean, right I went to Clemson, I covered Clemson, Davos Sweeney does not mess with the defense. He just says, here's my defensive coordinator. Do your defensive coordinating thing. Um, get after the quarterback, I guess. I don't know. Um, I'm more interested in the offense. I, and I think Braun probably does the same thing. And that's not terrible. You don't know your strengths, know your weaknesses. If you don't know defense, why are you, why are you messing with the defense? So if you, if Ron English is uh, the dude, he was good last year. He was terrible at Florida. Um, he was not great at East, uh, Eastern Michigan. But 
One hit wonder, baby. That's what I said. <laughs> that's right. He he was good at, at Louisville, so maybe y'all can catch fire twice. Maybe that's just what he needs. He needs that river water to really inspire him to uh, <laughs> call some good yeah. defense. Really interesting when you talk about the defense because um, obviously Purdue, and we'll kind of end and wrap this show up here, is one of the big topics that really was kind of my big debtor from Jeff Brom when he was a, a candidate and you're the first time around and even the second time around. When you look at, at him as a head coach, right, he accomplished a lot of great things, right? Talking about getting to the Big Ten Championship, um, beating number two Ohio State, you know, winning a ton of, uh, or not, I shouldn't say a ton, but winning games against some several, you know, several notable ranked teams throughout his tenure at Purdue. But he also lost a lot of games, right? I have the record mm-hmm. here. Let me pull it up. Oh, yeah. like, I mean, over the course of his time at Purdue, he was um, 28 and 24 against non-ranked teams, which um, as we were talk- kind of talking about before, it's kind of Satterfield-esque in terms of, of, you know, what that looks like, but it's a completely different. So I say yeah. all of that to say defensively, right? Just to kind of wrap this episode up, what is it in those games defensively that Purdue did versus, um, you know, some of those bad losses, right? In 2017, you have Rutgers, you've lost to Northwestern a couple of times. Um, you know, there's losses in there too, as you mentioned, Nevada, Syracuse last season, which, Hey, we, we can't say much here because us three goobers were like, Oh, Louisville's going to kick Syracuse ass all day long. I put Vince's old game Jersey on and, and declared in a radio <laughs> studio that Louisville was going to go and destroy them. So, but what is it, right? Like, tell me, understand defensively how Ohio state wins so high, but uh, excuse me, Purdue wins so high, but loses so low. So let's talk about Ohio state game real quick. Ohio state did not score touchdowns. That's what, if Purdue is playing good defense, they are giving up yards, but not touchdowns. Um, and so that Ohio State game, they were in the red inside the 10 three times and walked away with nine points. Um, and, and that's really sort of the key to that Purdue defense is they're going to give up yards inside the 20, between the 20s, right? So like you're between the 20s, they're going to give you cushion. They're going to let you hit those quick pa- the passing game. They're going to keep the top on, though. They're not going to let you beat them deep. Um, and they're going to make you uh, execute. And so uh, – and then you get inside the 20, and they're going to try to shrink the field and, and make stops in the red zone and make you kick field goals. And they've been good at that. Ron English was good at that last year. I mean, if you sort of just look through – you know, who Purdue played, they won a lot of games because the other team just could not put the ball in the end zone. And um, that, I think, for Louisville is going to be the key again this year is just can that Purdue or the Louisville defense keep teams out of the end zone and make them kick field goals? Um, because they're going to get – uh, you know, some yardage put up against them. So, you know, look at Ohio State, our last year's schedule. We have a 31 against Penn State. Penn State is, you know, 31-35. That was a shootout game. Um, shout out Indiana State. Syracuse, 29-32. Again, sort of a, a shootout game. FAU, 28-26. Uh, that was uh, with... Uh, O'Connell injured and uh, Austin Burton playing quarterback. So that was sort of a little different game plan for Purdue. Um, Minnesota, though, they went 20 to 10. 
Uh, Maryland win 39-29. Um, Nebraska 43-37. They're always just doing enough to keep the teams out of the end zone uh, when it matters. Um, Illinois 31-24 win. Uh, Northwestern 17-9. Indiana 30-16. So that defense, the defense you can't really, like I said, even against Michigan, they hung in there. They didn't, they don't make a lot of plays, but they don't give up a lot of plays. Like that at halftime of the Big Ten Championship game, it's what, 14 to 13, uh, Michigan, uh, Michigan, and then, you know, the, the defense finally just sort of collapses. Uh, a lot of the defense is really dependent on the offense. If Purdue's offense is holding the ball, moving it, and not just going three and out, pass, 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 punt, defense on the field, pass, pass, punt, defense on the field, pass, pass, punt. That's when Purdue gets into trouble. Uh, that's when teams like Wisconsin, who Jeff Brom could not figure out, just steamrolled Purdue because the defense would hang and hang and hang, but the offense couldn't stay on the field long enough. So it would be like Purdue would have like a six-play drive and Wisconsin would have like a 12-play drive. And then Purdue would have like a seven-play drive and Wisconsin would have a 14-play drive. And by the fourth quarter, like they were just dragging the Purdue defenders off the bench and like throwing them on the field, just begging them to play because they're just done. Um, and so a lot of Purdue's defense is can their offense protect them enough uh, for them to play that sort of bend, don't break without just being gassed in the fourth quarter. When it comes to a defense like that, where there is such an emphasis on bending but not breaking, were there ever moments, and I kind of think to to that Michigan game in the Big Ten Championship, was there ever a moment where when you have a defense that more so relies on just not giving up huge scores, but like still allowing some semblance of offense to get down the field. Is there ever a concern that like after a while opposing offenses kind of figure out what they're trying to do and just attack that with ease after a certain amount of time? Cause it seems like when you watch that game against Michigan, yeah, I mean, fatigue plays into it, obviously, but like you said, it's a one score game at halftime and you look at the final score and you thought that, that, that Purdue never had a shot. And most of that was yeah. Michigan scored at will. Was it more so fatigue or was it Michigan exploited something in that defense that they, that they just could go, go to over and over and over again? Yeah, I mean, Michigan figured out that they just needed to hand the ball to Donovan Edwards and he was going to just... I mean, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he was like, okay, this defensive line is getting tired. We're going to hand it to our giant, also fast running back. And he's just going to, you know, he's six feet, what, six foot, 200 pounds. Uh, but yeah, Donovan Edwards, he just decided to start handing the ball to Donovan Edwards and... There wasn't a lot Purdue could do about it. And that's just sort of, like I said, that was also the problem against Wisconsin uh, on the defense, that eventually they're just going to hand the ball to the running back. And there's not, by the fourth quarter, there just wasn't a lot Purdue was doing about stopping that. Um, And because uh, they didn't 
recruit enough depth to where I felt like they were subbing guys in and out on the defensive line enough uh, to where they were fresh enough to make plays in the fourth quarter and to make those you're like okay and I'll say that's again that's another sort of deal with how does Purdue sort of lose these games late and a lot of this is the defense is just gassed and not making plays where you're like okay stop time stop time here we go baby if we're gonna get and it's just like oh man this team has had the ball for like half like three-fourths of the game and especially in the second half and just like the defense is just dropping so I I think uh like I said Hagen when Hagen came in things got better on the defensive line and recruiting exponentially and uh I think if he continues to recruit y'all the four-star defensive line guys and he also will rotate guys in and out a lot more uh, keeps guys fresh I love Hagen uh, at the defensive line, can't say enough about him. English, the secondary was pretty good. Uh, you know, Corey Trice got drafted. Uh, he's a you know big corner. Um, safeties were pretty good. Uh, linebackers, <sighs> pretty good heavy linebackers. Pretty good heavy linebackers. That's like. I mean, I'm just going to be straight up the linebacker recruiting. Marcus Bailey was a holdover from uh, the previous regime. regime. Uh, he was really good. Uh, other than in that, uh, like, like where I was trying to write the linebacker preview for Purdue this year, I'm like, oh. well, you know, somebody's going to play. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're going to put some guys on the field. I don't know. But, like, so uh, that is if, if Louisville is going to make the next step in the ACC. And I guess that's kind of what I wanted to talk about to finish it up. Um, and that's sort of outside of offense, defense. Um, since I, I do sort of follow ACC football, which is like me and like 12 other people, um, uh, that's the step Brom's going to make. He's got to get that defense. Uh, he's got to figure out the running game. I think he will. I just I don't think that what he did at Western Kentucky is a fluke. And if he gets that offensive line right, I think that offense is going to be dynamic. Can he recruit the defense? Um, and that's going to be the, the limiting factor for Louisville is can he and whoever the offensive coordinator would be, Mark Hagan or on English, whoever is there, because he changed defensive coordinators frequently at Purdue. And uh, if he can get that guy, you can find that guy. He's like, this is my dude. This is the dude, that guy I trust. He's going to come out and give me the players. Um, that's the limiting factor at Louisville. Um, and so it's really just a question of how many guys you all can pull out of Miami. So far, so good. I mean, it looks They're like working I mean, on it. <laughs> with transfers has picked up, one of the things I admire about Jeff Brom from a transfer stand out standpoint was that he always got guys from different divisions. Louisville was notorious previously for the lower level FCS guys moving up, but Jeff Brom recruits Power Five. 
We've seen that this year. Um, and this team is, uh, you know, it, it's a really perfect storm for Jeff Brom. There's a running game. There's an offensive line. There's a defense. There's an established culture of some, you know, somewhat compared to what it was years ago. Um, and it's the easiest schedule potentially in college football. And um, there is really no excuse this year to not win at least eight or nine games. So with everything that we've heard over the course of these two episodes, it really is going to come down to a couple of things uh, for Louisville and defense will be a big part of that. So that's going to wrap us up here on from the pink seats podcast, Jacob Lane, Matt McGavick, Vince Lococo, Drew, thank you so much for stopping in and giving us some insight into Purdue. Uh, this has been a, a great episode. Where can the fans find you? I know we've got a lot of really smart football fans who are interested, not only in just um, Louisville, but across the, the, the college football landscape. So where can they find you on Twitter and where your work is at? Man, I'm all over the place. I'm on Twitter at, what is it, Legend of SM. Uh, at Legend of SM, uh, follow me at your peril, I guess. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm at Helmet Hammer Rails, uh, SB Nation. I'm uh, Bring on the Cats if you're in the Kansas State. I'm at Shaking the Southland if y'all want to talk about Clemson a little bit. Otherwise, uh, yeah, if y'all uh, want to bring me back for the uh, Clemson Louisville preview, feel free. Yeah, well, that will be uh, hopefully ACC championship weekend. Because... There we go. Two games. We, we, we can do it twice. We can run it twice if you really want to. <laughs> The fun part is there's no Clemson on the schedule this year, so we don't have to worry about that in nature like we do every single year. That's the best part about this year, Drew, is there's no Florida State right? and there's no Clemson. That's you guys great. enjoy That's duking it out over there. We'll see you in Charlotte, and then we will reconvene here, and we can talk all about that. Drew, thank you so much, my friend. We will hey, man, hey, tell you what. You give Jeff Brown a healthy team, one game to win in Charlotte, that's not bad. That's not a bad deal. That's not a bad deal. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against him. Uh, but I would actually, I will if they're playing Clemson. But otherwise, uh, go cards, I guess. We heard hey. the go cards. We finished there. We'll finish right there. Hey, That's you said it. The episode. Thank you so much, Drew. We'll talk to you soon. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc